You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your fearless host leader, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Sean and Rick. And uh, today, we're going to be talking about positivity. And now it's time for Nerd News! I'm really excited about Oathsworn Into the Deepwood uh, because I actually know one of the investors behind that project and it makes me feel like I'm kind of a big deal. Right now, Oathsworn Into the Deepwood 2nd Edition is on Kickstarter and it is just crushing it. It was the original, like, massively long campaign that's narrated and, you know, super duper overproduced and whatnot to you know to me um i mean i know gloomhaven does a little bit of that and and whatnot but this one is like 9.3 rated on board game geek super duper nice looking lots of 15,000 backers yeah and it still has yeah as of today it's got 18 days to go with over two almost you know well it's over 2.1 million dollars raised and so the investor that I know is uh, pretty darn happy, probably with its performance, um, and it's nice to see it outperforming the the first one, which you know uh, doesn't always happen. But they have metal hit point dice and other yes. things. That's so cool. Do you think but, it's selling uh, well because of the big big figures it has? It's a great example of why board games do well on Kickstarter. These types of board games you cannot get this anywhere else. This type of game. So, you know, it's just, it would cost like $900 if it was on a retail shelf or something ridiculous like that. And they're only able to make this based off of the margin that they get by selling it direct to the customer, which is why the reprint, you know, the second edition, the first reprint is actually, it requires Kickstarter to make it, to bring it to life. Something like this doesn't really make it to retail. So I, I think that it's really cool. It's really exciting. Uh, by Shadowborn Games, they are, um, you know, there's this trend of like really huge epic board games happening right now. And I think that, um, you know, Oathsworn is is one of the first that that was very commercially, well, successful on Kickstarter. And so I'm kind of excited about that. This uh, this one also has a fully narrated companion app. Yes, that's that's what I was trying to think of is the it's actually voice narrated, which is cool. Um, have you seen the size of the boxes and the shipping they've got a a picture of all the boxes stacked on top of each other (laughs) yeah the base pledge is 125 dollars it's a big box though yeah the core all in is 375 dollars 65 or more hours of campaign but on a lighter note yeah zoo tycoon did good today or this week and uh, it's based off the video game um the pc game zoo tycoon also apparently it might have been an Xbox game at one time because it's owned by Xbox, Microsoft. Um, or is it Mazer is called Xbox, Microsoft now instead of just Microsoft. I have no idea. Anyway, the Zoo Tycoon um, has raised... Partially owned by Vanguard. Vanguard. <laughs> Illuminati. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, in their first few days, have raised $167,000. This game's a little more reasonable in price compared to the, uh, the big behemoth you just talked about. However, they got really cool... They have 230 animal meeples. I mean, you can't go wrong with these meeples. These are just crazy. They've got elks and black rhinos and tufted capuchins and Bornean orangutans. The base, Snow leopards. the base package is around 82 US dollars. 
Um, this is being made. Did we say it was in? Is this Sweden? Is this where we or Swiss? Switzerland. Switzerland. But it's very. Uh, it does remind me of a very. Uh, you know, old school like German style games. It's it's very. In fact, it may be manufactured in German for G- Germany for all we know. Um, you know, it's got the the meeples and the 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 square cards that you use and and uh, quite a few features there. But I really like it. I think they did a really good job. Uh, with the artwork, with the uh, design of setting it up, um, I was saying earlier off off the air, it sort of reminds me of a couple of the dinosaur games they have out there. The way it's sort of set up, um, like a park, you manage a park. But I think it's gonna be really cool. In terms of the Kickstarter Facebook ads course that we're developing, we are gonna meet tomorrow, Andrew, and myself, to sort of talk through the final, final negotiations. <laughs> final checklist of things we need to do before we can actually start making more announcements. So it is finished, quote unquote. We, we, we might need to tweak a couple of things, but it's mostly and largely there. So we just sort of need to have a final roundup and get it out the door. So as soon as we have more information, we'll tell you about it. But again, if you want to stay informed on the latest developments of it, then make sure to join our email list. You can do that at crowdfundingnerds.com. And join the Facebook group, the Crowdfunding Nerds community. And we'll be making announcements through our email and through Facebook. Awesome. And we're going to be giving discounts to our uh, current and past clients for the course because, of course, they've got us. Why would they need a course? So we need to give them a, a price break to to make it uh, worthwhile. I don't know. But if you're a current or former client listening to this, like that's what we want to do for you. And it's going to be helpful because we're, in a very logical way, putting all the information you need to know and including in the show notes, which are quite detailed of linking to podcasts and articles on those specific topics. So even if it's just a a reference guide for your next launch, it will still be very helpful for you to just have access to all of that, all those links and information. Absolutely. Yeah. The whole, the primary reason that we're make that we made this course is because there are some people that listen to this podcast that say, I just can't, afford to pay a marketing company to do what I need done, but I have the time and just not the expertise. And so we really wanted to give those people an option because before we were just like, Hey, listen to our podcast. It's free. And uh, we feel like there's room for something in between where they really do need some training that actually has been proven. I mean, there's, there's, there are Kickstarter courses you can go get right now, or, you know, how to be a Facebook ads guru and four easy steps. But those are all garbage and everybody knows it. Otherwise you would have a course like that. Um, you know, and it's just, I don't know, I guess it's our, our attempt to, to have a great resource that we can give people. So let's get into our topic then, which is positivity. And in particular, why positivity is, you know, will make you more money. Positivity. (laughs) Yeah. So you know, when, when we talk about positivity, there are a lot of different ways that we can, uh, that we can, a lot of places we can apply it, but let's really talk about, let's talk about the constraints and what it is that we actually mean and maybe not or what, and maybe, you know, in particular, what we don't mean when we say positivity, it does not mean extroversion. Extroversion is, uh, to some people considered a superpower and it sometimes is considered a super villain power. I don't know. <laughs> You can annoy people as an extrovert, I know, because um, I am one. And, well, and we don't mean flattery either. Yes. Yeah. So, 
you know, in, in particular, positivity is more of a mindset that happens on purpose. And the way, maybe the way that I, that I'll start it off is that positive people are being positive on purpose. They're not being positive by accident. They're making a choice. Negative people, which represent about nine out of 10 humans on, on the planet, it seems, and probably 9.999 out of 10 on social media, those, and certainly 9.999999 out of 10 that work at uh, news organizations that post. Oh, I thought you were going to say Reddit. <laughs> That's 10 <laughs> out of 10, sorry. The, those most people that are being negative do not realize, do not realize that they're being negative. They are mostly being negative out of ignorance. I mean, positivity is attractive. Negativity is very unattractive. And you, I mean, there are a lot of different ways that that will affect you if you're not paying attention. And, and really, you know, what we're talking about here, I guess the, the, maybe the first takeaway is just to be purposeful in the way that you act. You know, we see people all the time kind of ruining things for themselves unnecessarily, but Sean, you want to get further into the constraints and like what it is that we're talking about and how to how we define this? I just, I just want to maybe just touch on this briefly, but in terms of being positive and just generally, I think it's connected with being professional. Now, recently there's this voice actor called Helena Taylor who came out and she sort of called out a company that she was working for saying that she wasn't um, paid um, enough. It was for also video game. It was for the, the latest video game called Bayonetta, which I've, I've no experience with that game series. Anyway, she claims that they make a ludicrous amount of money and that she deserved uh, a pay increase, which might all very well be true. It turns out some of the things she was saying doesn't seem to be factual. But anyway, the, the fact that she came out and sort of called out this company was calling for fans to boycott the video game. <laughs> it's pretty uh, an unprofessional and pretty negative way of doing it, even if she's in the right, even if they did maybe mishandle her and she didn't get a, a fair fair pay. There's, I think there's ways of doing that and sort of going well, on, what on social is media. She lied as well. That, yeah, so she, that's, that's she said that, that they, pay, they were willing to pay her $4,000 when in actuality they were willing to pay her fifteen. And I, you know, I, I don't, it might've just simply been the way that she went out and flamed them and, or, you know, she could have been very righteously upset, but the way that it came out was super duper. It just made it easy for that company to turn around and say, ha, gotcha. We paid you 15, but you know, you're a liar. And so it, it just ended up very much in the negative for her. But she, she turned down the job, right? Yeah, yes, she did. So what's the big deal? You get offered money, you turn it down the end. I mean, yeah. you know, this is a big world. So if, if you don't get it, someone else will take it. Um, I mean, well, we for all example, hope to work for an ethical, you know, like any, anyone that we work for, we want them to be ethical and be willing to pay mm -hmm. what the job is worth. And certainly if, you know, if you're Riot Games and you ask to hire me for my wonderful silky voice, I hope you're not going to pay me fiber prices, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I say. That's probably where they went next. They're like, "Oh, well, she doesn't want. It. We'll just go to Fiverr. Yeah. I will record an American male voice for you." Howdy, my partner. <laughs> so let's move this character. Yeah. So, in terms of defining positivity, we've touched on briefly. It doesn't mean flattery. So it could even be you could be communicating things which are negative. 
but you're framing them in such a way which they are constructive. So we call this like constructive criticism, right? So, and you have to be as a board game developer, a video game developer, you have to be able have the humility to receive criticisms, whether they are positive or negative. And we, we hope that they are framed in a way that is positive. But sometimes even people who say things in a way that's mean or nasty, they, they could be an, an element of truth in what they're saying. So it's up to you to decipher if there is any truth in there or if it's just baseless. <laughs> I do have a great example or a great scenario maybe we can work off of here. Let's okay. say you got your Kickstarter game done. Everything's good to go. However, the shipping prices have gone way, way up and it's no longer affordable for you to ship that game out with the original shipping price that you promised. So how would you handle that? I feel personally attacked right now. I know. Well, no, it's not just you, it's everyone. In fact, I also have a couple ideas too for it. But uh, how would you handle this in a positive way? Well, the way that I handled it with my backers, actually it ended up being pretty fortunate for me because when I announced that we would have to do a little a marginal shipping increase of $3, everyone was like, thank you for only making it $3. I had no negative feedback from that because Simon just announced like their shipping price for, uh, I forget what it was. It was a uh, Marvel Zombicide maybe. Yes, was it was like 133 or $168 for like the big pledge. And um, that was... Uh, you know, made $3 by comparison, just look like nothing. But, you know, in general, I think that empathy is a really big part of the equation. You want to try to understand their position and why they're saying what it is that they're saying. They might be reacting in a way that's very inflammatory and negative and, and, you know, accusatory, and they might be using bad words, potty language, you know, I mean, calling you a poo-poo head for doing what it is that that you're doing and a money grubber and other things like that. And we, you know, if you've been in this situation before, you know that people are going to be critically mean to you. And I, I tr when people are, are critical and mean to me, I try to understand like what kernel of truth there is in what they're saying, because they're, you know, people don't just lash out for no reason. If the shipping price is high, and they're not really able to afford very much. Maybe they, you know, they're having a really tough year or, you know, they don't have much money to begin with. That's an easy reason that they could be lashing out. Um, maybe if they think that you actually didn't need the money and, you know, that could be another reason where they're like, they're acting like a public defender, you know, lashing out. And they think what they're doing is good, um, you know, and, and it's important to recognize and be empathetic with their position. You don't have to agree with them, but you should certainly work to understand them. And, um, you know, when you understand your enemy, you also love them. Put that a fortune cookie. If anybody understands, it was Andrew's yeah. game. We're going we're gonna to put that in the, the Talks of Andrew uh, <laughs> book. Um, I Andrew, actually Andrew Wigan, talked but... to a publisher maybe a little, maybe six months ago. And he had a really cool way of doing this and tell me like, I could be wrong, but it worked for him. And so I wanted to share it with everybody, all you listeners out there in the uh, virtual cloud space listening to us. So he had the same problem, except for his was a little more than a couple dollars. He, I think it was short, like $10 a person or something like that. It was pretty big. Mm -hmm. And what he did was he found something that he can um, add to his game 
to enhance it, but also not cost um, that much money at all. In fact, he, he got, made some extra little cards, uh, some kind of character cards for the game. And so the cost was very, very low. And what he did was he let, he let his, fa- his, his followers know, his fans know, and backers know. He's, he said, look, you know, I, I, we're, we're experiencing a little bit of a shortage uh, on the shipping right now due to unexpected uh, things that have happened. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put these up. Uh, I think he did them like on a, on like on, you know, backer kit or, or whatever on a, a manager. He's I'm going to put these up for extra price for sale. If you're interested in getting these to add to your game. Great. If not, don't worry about it. And it actually like did so well that he was able to cover the shipping plus more because the response was like crazy. Cause everyone who, you know, already was investing in the game, like, wait, this is something else for the game, but if I don't get it, then I'll be left out and everyone else will buy it. So it actually turned into his really cool. I thought it was a really cool idea how where he was short and he was able to, to add more value to the game with less, with a lower cost and then be able to cover his uh, unexpected uh, future costs. That's a really smart idea. I, I definitely think that appealing to the empathy of your backers and saying, look, you know, these are real world circumstances. I think being honest is part of uh, being positive. It's like being honest with the facts and also communicating in a timely manner. Don't, you know, you don't want to be in the situation where you don't speak to people for six months and then you come back and you're like, we're short money. We need more. You know, it's, uh, there's no way to recover from that or like you know. 90% of the online games on Kickstarter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so, so yeah. So um, maybe just to yeah. speak into when dealing with people who are giving feedback or who are commenting on shipping or anything and to work out if something is constructive or if it's just trolling, mm-hmm. <laughs> usually you can tell just by certain words they use. If it's highly inflammatory, then it's best to just ignore that. Um, but if, if it seems like there's a kernel of truth, what I find is if you engage with that and you answer the objection, and if the, object, the objection is clearly articulated and it's answered, but they still aren't satisfied, I find in the best of those circumstances, you're probably dealing with someone who isn't seeking an answer, so to speak. So it's best to just end that conversation rather than trying to convince them with more more replies. Usually that just it yeah. doesn't satisfy or, them. Or, they just become increasingly irrational as you try to become more rational and... and yeah. you know, if that if that happened to me personally, probably what I'd do would be like, you know, look, looks like this game isn't quite the match for or, you know, what you thought it was. And um, maybe it'd be best if we just give you a refund and you can maybe find a game that more meets your needs um, or expectations. I'd, I'd just go that route. Um, but what do you do now? A lot of the games do like the one dollar pledge. Um, you know, that way people can stay in the loop and communicate and stuff. However, the one dollar pledge is sort of like the free ticket to ride for some people. And all of a sudden, they're really trolling on your pages. Um, how would you, did you have anything like that, Andrew? And how would you handle that? Yeah, I had. Um, I actually had somebody that trolled my mom for the whole Kickstarter. It was like when when we ran our Kickstarter, like I did liter- not literally that. your mom, literally my mother. Yeah, <laughs> she was like all excited, and they, yeah, it was hilarious, but also terrible. And I had to really control myself. In the end, I actually did say something like what you know which i generally would advocate not to do but what you just said rick about how you know hey maybe this game's not a good fit for you i actually told them look if you if you aren't going to stop being inflammatory on this kickstarter 
I'll refund your pledge and I will make sure that you do not receive a copy of this game, uh, you know, from this Kickstarter because, you know, I just, I need, I need you to like shape up, you know, it's really important, which is certainly a last resort, but to kind of to what you said, Sean, where somebody gets increasingly irrational, it's, it's good not to feed the trolls. It's good to back away slowly from a conversation, even if that means that you, the other person gets the last word and, you know, owned you or whatever, it's certainly better than the alternative, but it is important to, I think, to answer the fool on Kickstarter a lot of the time, simply for those others that are going to read what it is that they wrote and wonder what your response would be to, to the actual legitimate parts. You know, as you said, Sean, there's usually a, a, an element of what it is that they wrote that's that's based on truth. And it's important to answer the true part. And you don't have to even address the part where they called you, you know, your mother a hamster and your father smelled of elderberries, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and um, because, you know, Monty Python's RPG is on Kickstarter now still. So um, I think that is a worthwhile way to go, you know, and there are going to be 10 times as many people that are reading as there are typing comments on a Kickstarter page. So it's, it's very, you know, it's very important whenever you're writing something, anything public that you think about what are, what will all the people reading this that do not respond? How, how will they interpret this? Because it's really easy if you crush someone in an argument to still lose fans because you're kind of a jerk. And so that professionalism is an, is an important element of positivity. And sometimes you can really turn it around. Like I had somebody on my Kickstarter that would, that would actually regularly tell me why they weren't back in the game. They, they backed at the $1 level and they were looking for something that they didn't find, you know, so the end of the Kickstarter hits and they're like, yeah, I'm glad I didn't back this game. And then, you know, they're at the $1 level still though, so they can get to the pledge manager and they're like, yeah, I'm so glad I didn't back this game after an update or, or two. And then like, the third time they said that, it's all about like the the way the add-ons were treated. So the acrylic standees, they wanted to see the acrylic standees, but I didn't actually have a physical version by the time our Kickstarter ended. And so uh, our pledge manager is close, you know, closing in, and I gave the first version of the acrylic standees, which were a little too dark. And the person said, "I'm glad I didn't back this game because those acrylic standees are too dark." And it was like one too many times, and it just hurt. It it really does hurt. It's okay to be human. Uh, it hurt my feelings. And I just wrote, you know, I just, so, you know, like I am trying not to take what it is that you're saying personally, but it kind of hurts my feelings when you say that you're glad you didn't back the game. And I just wanted to let you know, because I'm sure that you're that. And, and um, I think another lesson in regard to positivity, it's important to assume that they mean well, Uh, So I actually wrote, like, I'm sure that you mean well, but because I'm just so close to this project and it's such a personal effort for me, you know, and it's been such a long time that I worked on it, you know, maybe I have a hard time interpreting what it is that you're saying properly, but I just want to let you know that that's kind of how, you know, that it kind of hurts my feelings a little bit, you know, and it's totally okay that it's not the game for you. And, you know, but, you know, a lot of other people... Are, are enjoying it. I'm just going to focus on those people. And the person actually, the next update, they responded to that and they 
it kind of apologized and they came around the next update after I closed the pledge manager. They were like, oh, bummer. I saw the acrylic standees. They were awesome. I wish I could get this now. And, you know, even though we closed our pledge manager, I felt like I was able to turn that around. And people actually see everything you write or respond. So you need to be very careful. In fact, a, re- a really good, another example, and this, I mean, it's not just Kickstarter. It's however you communicate. If you got a Facebook group, et cetera, it's however you communicate to your followers online. We have a client in a different area. They're not Kickstarter, but, uh, he was extremely upset um, a couple times because he got a like a one star rating on Google and he took it to heart. And he's like, you know, I, I'm really upset. This doesn't seem right. This isn't what happened. And he's taught he talked to Andrew one time. He talked to me about it, too, because he's got he got I think he's got two out of like thousands of reviews these days. And, you know, we both told him, you know, you know, find a positive spin on it, you know, do a response, make sure it's heartfelt and, and you know, and, and you know share what how you feel about it and he did and it's crazy because those responses to those one-star reviews made more people want to take use his services like it like you read them you're like whoa you know this guy really cares about the company and the people and you know and it actually it 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 turned you know these these one-star reviews into like oh they're selling leads it's like, I got a one-star review and now I got more clients. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost a guarantee that you're going to get a one-star review as a, like a service business, especially you'll get a one-star review. But even with your product, people will say, I hate this game. It's got X, Y, and Z. And, you know, in, in the restaurant business, when, whenever you go, you know, look up a restaurant, you're going to look at their reviews. See, like, you're going to find oh, someone who says they got food poisoning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, so you look at the one star review and you'll figure out like, was this person crazy or was it legit? If someone's like, I've gone to this place three times and I've had food poisoning all three of those times. It's like, well, you know, I'm going to take that really seriously. I don't think that there's a way the other <laughs> restaurant can come back from this one. Um, but a lot of the time you're, they're like, it was so busy. They forgot to fill up my water. You know, they only did it once and they handed me the check like I was done, but it's like they wanted me out of there, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't ready to leave. And so one star, like, well, that's just an excellent opportunity for the business owner to respond, you know, and say, Hey, sorry that, you know, we were, we were busy. I'll, you know, we'll make sure to fill your water next time. I don't know, but it's just not, I mean, it's, it's a great opportunity to, to show your quality when you receive a review like that in in your response. Yeah. It's like, it's like buying Amazon products. I always look at the reviews, uh, when I, before I purchase an Amazon product and I always laugh sometimes. Cause like, you know, like you'll see like a, a one star and it'll be like, well, this product sucks because of ABC. And then there's like a five-star review saying, I don't know what this person's talking about because I use ABC and it's great. And then there's another one saying, oh, well, this five-star must be a, a fake review from the yeah. owner because they're just trying to, and you're just like, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, actually that happened to me um, with deliverance. It's, it has over 140 reviews on board game geek. And it's got an 8.7 star rating on BoardGameGeek right now. And this is all from people that have played on Tabletop Simulator, just very organically. I asked people if they had played the game at one one point in our Discord community. I asked them if they had played the game, would they consider leaving a review on BoardGameGeek? And then since, and we got like 40 of them or something. And then since then, we've built to over 140 reviews. And I remember early on, there was, uh, when we had like, 75 reviews or so somebody wrote 
what you know gave me a one star rating on board game geek and said no to self do not back games by this publisher they are clearly uh spilling out inauthentic reviews having friends and family do that because their game's not out yet it's like but my game was on tabletop simulator and i've had like thousands of plays um of deliverance not to mention the conventions you've been to where you've we you've had a you know beta version of the game played and yeah um, for since you know whatever just because it's not published doesn't mean it hasn't been played yet right and so you know and actually i you know it's so funny because i have some of my biggest fans gave me like a seven because they played an early version that didn't have art at a convention and so they gave me a seven it's like i know they play they've logged like 50 games on tabletop simulator but i got a seven because they the first time they reviewed it was like a you know a quote-unquote honest review this game doesn't have art yet it's you know just basic and it's like please revisit your review and and rate it what you think you know it should be a 10 if you play 50 games of deliverance you should rate it a 10 because you're obviously diehard um but that's the way it is right and so you just have to roll with the punches and just understand that you know the way that they felt then might not be the way they feel now and and the way they feel now might not be the way they feel in the future and it all depends on your behavior and you can't win back everybody but you can win back some people uh by just focusing on the positive yeah i'm seeing some i'm looking at your reviews and i see some are like oh you know this review manipulation but a lot of them are like i played this on tabletop simulator and they even the reviews they yeah it's, it's, it's unjustified <laughs> Right. What, what does my review say? Did you review? No, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, just the, the first review is 10, what? low and high. I designed this game. <laughs> you voted on your own game? I'm sure I played it more than everyone else, and that's my favorite game, so, so there. Now, that, At least now I wasn't now, trying if to I like, saw that, I might question The designer is the, very uh, clever. That. Well, a lot of people will be like, yeah, the designer of this game is so smart. He must be so handsome. And it's, of course, them. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But for me, I'm like, yeah, of course, 10 out of 10. I made this. (laughs) I think it's great. You know? So, yeah, I'm sure I'll probably get more flame for that than I will uh, positive. But I was the first person to review. So, there you go. Um, I literally made the page. It got approved. And then I gave it a 10. I'm like, yeah, I like this game. That sounds um, like a, yeah. That's like that's that's a, a conflict of interest. I don't think you should be able to vote on your own like created game. Yeah, probably <laughs> not. But you know, I think it's important to just be a human and say I like this. But you know, you I I totally understand why somebody might not want to do that. So Andrew, when it comes to negativity, yeah. positivity, what are some ways that negativity can Im- impact your business or affect maybe sales of your game? You could give some you examples. Know, I would say that a positive framing can really help sales, even though let's say like a neutral or, or maybe even a negative outlook might not hurt sales. Positivity enhances say uh, potential for sales. So um, for example, there are some of our uh, regular clients, one, one in particular I'm thinking of, I obviously don't want to name them because I feel like this is an area they could uh, improve. And I would only talk to them about that in private. You know, I wouldn't want to throw them under the bus on my podcast, especially if they're listening right now. But So the way that they do their Kickstarter updates, it's very matter of fact. It's like, hey, we did this. And it's very short. It's not enhanced with 
images. It's not, you know, doesn't say, hey, this is what this means for all you backers. Um, I think that there's this, you know, worked with them for a while on trying to help me care. You know, I want to, I want to care about the things that you're writing in this Kickstarter update of a game I backed and, and all the backers do too, but like, help me understand why this is awesome. And I think that's framing is, is a really important word. I think you actually used that earlier, Sean, where the way that you frame a, uh, a paragraph of, of information, you should help people understand why this is a good thing or why you know, if it's a, let's say you're talking about shipping and the fact that it's expensive, you should help people understand why, you know, it just any positive element that you can latch onto, you should. So, you know, I know this is, you know, as, as like a, a backer, right? Shipping is always frustrating. And so you can express that frustration. It's like, I know that everyone was hoping that we would be right on with targets, but the market has really kind of surprised us. And so despite our best effort, um, you know, this is kind of where we're at. And so these are, this is what we're going to do because of that. This is how we're responding to that situation and framing that, you know, a negative thing as though you're in control of it is really, really important to show people that there's a firm hand on the wheel, the, you know, that like you might be in rough waters, but the people can in, can trust you to continue to navigate it because you have a plan. I think that's a very important element of giving people an update when they're financially invested into your into your into your game. And I think that the same, you know, of obviously Kickstarter update is what I was talking about. But you know, when when you're sending out a monthly newsletter, same thing. You know, you should always be framing your you know what it is that you write in a way that that talks about the benefit to the end consumer and why you did this and that you did it for them. Um, you know, and this is how that benefits you is I, I should be able to understand just by reading anything that you write. Sometimes there are really cool things to celebrate. You know, like at one point I, I told my, the people that are following deliverance, like I'm not going to do minis. And then when they revolted and said, we think you're stupid. I eventually caved and said, all right, we're doing angel minis. And they were really, really happy about that. And, you know, I think that that's, uh, you know, always something that is just simply a, a positive thing is like, Hey, we're going to add, you know, f- whatever it is like 20 bucks to the cost of this game now, or, you know, is not a very positive thing, but, uh, but giving the, the people what they want, that's a way to frame this very positively. Um, but just your communication and the, the way that you frame things, you should always make sure that people are clear about the benefit to them. And that, you know, and really the, the focus is on the benefit of what it is that you did, not a feature of the, the game. It's like, it's not, it just doesn't sell the same way. So it's always about the customer. Um, Let's talk about resentment. What happens if you get a certain result, maybe in your Kickstarter campaign or sales and you're not particularly happy with the results. How do you frame your communications with backers and fans, but still maintain that, I suppose, positivity, but be authentic, right? Because you don't want to be disingenuous, but you also don't want to be resentful and, and blame people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, 
it's interesting because if you got a negative result, let's say you funded your campaign, you know, there, there are really two, I mean, maybe that we should separate two situations. One is where you failed to fund. And I think that's a very important moment um, for a, uh, for a publisher. And then there's one that you did fund, but you didn't fund as much as you thought. And so where you fail to fund, it's all about, as I said before, making sure that your backers know you have a firm hand on the wheel. It was a negative outcome, but here's what you're going to do to um, kind of counter. Maybe it is, it's going to be like, you know, we'd love to hear from you as to what, you know, what we could do better next time. And here are the things that we've identified. You know, we're going to retool and come back at it three months from now or, you know, that kind of thing. And we really would love your feedback. It's a great way to keep your backers involved and, you know, help you kind of save face as you cancel a project. You want people to keep following you, then make sure that they feel confident in your ability to lead them to a successful result next time. Um, but, you know, there, there are cases where people will actually finish the funding of a game and not be able to deliver or, or maybe they, they vastly underperformed what their expectations were. And that situation, while it's not super common, at least, you know, when people vocalize, like most people that, that we work with are very happy that they got funded and, you know, they, and so when they fund on the first day and earn 400% return they're they, they're usually really darn happy. Uh, but, you know, in some cases, in fact, uh, somewhat recently, we had a client that that seemed to fund well, well over 300% of their goal, and they weren't happy. And then they let us know, they sent us an email about how, you know, they they just expected more, that their the emails that they earned, they didn't convert enough of them. They felt like, you know, there were, that they should have made more on their project and that sort of thing. And sometimes there's this, you know, from, from our end, there's like a lack of, of maybe uh, of understanding of how the process works. It's like, if, if you funded a high amount, it's like, we, we would be, we're very happy, but if you made that amount artificially low, you, you're kind of misleading backers and that kind of thing. It's like, how do, how do we handle this, you know, as with, with our client and like, how do we remain positive? And so for us, you know, what, you know, in, in general, the way that I responded to that client was that, you know, that number one, I tried to empathize by number, by just simply first explaining that this was a possibility that really um, needed to have a, um, and, you know, there's potential for, for, you know, moving forward from here, but, you know, we needed to factor this in before the result or before the Kickstarter launched, we always have to factor in that it doesn't match your, you know, the, your expectations or the, the, the leads expectations as like an email list. Um, you know, we talked about like what could typically happen in like an, an extended marketing campaign is that if you're not keeping your clients super engaged, they can cool off and other things and, you know, other elements like, you know, possibilities like economic factors or, you know, other things like that. But then, you know, it's really all about taking responsibility for what we can take responsibility for. I think that one, you know, element of remaining positive is, is reacting positively is 
you know, not necessarily admitting fault because I feel like we did a good job. You know, it's, it's just, you know, if they didn't get the results they were looking for, you know, we can say, you know, there are certain elements that could have done better or, you know, that it didn't match your expectations for the marketing effort. Maybe we could have uh, uh, communicated better, you know, and then number three, you got to state facts, like us not being able to guarantee results. You know, it's one of the, one of those things. Right. But, you know, positively framing this the way that I said, this is the best we can do is to use our experience and past results to forecast reasonable projections, you know, um, instead of just being like, we don't, you can't blame us. We can't guarantee anything. It's just not a very, very positive way to frame. But, um, the, the last element of what it is that we, that we do is like, how can we fix it? You know, like you can't, you can't always fix, like if you're a publisher and somebody gets a box with like a tiny little scratch in it, or maybe they're in, you know, and then resending another box would be like $40 or, or whatever. Um, you know, the, or maybe they're in Brazil and they lost their fourth package that you sent them. Like, are you going to keep sending them packages, you know, or, or not. Right. But, um, like, what can you do? You know, what can you do? And for me, I said, Hey, I'd be Save happy to tape. hop up. Huh? <laughs> yes. Yeah, like the scratch in the box. <laughs> yeah. Save some tape. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but, uh, you know, in, in this case with this client, I said that I'd be happy to hop on a call with them to discuss what options they have from, you know, and how, uh, they can utilize the email list that we built and the, you know, the consultation that would normally cost money is going to be free of charge. And that, you know, a reiteration that we do care about their success. And I offered the ability to kind of work through all of the factors to piece the puzzle together of why we got X results, you know, and certainly we stand behind the work that we do as a company, but it doesn't always go perfectly. And I think that, you know, it's just when something doesn't go perfectly, it's an opportunity for you as a publisher or, you know, I'm talking about ourselves because obviously it's a very recent uh, experience. Uh, to show your quality, you know, like, are you going to be there when things don't go well? That's to me, what makes a quality publisher, somebody that I would want to support somebody that I would want to back another project of theirs is like, when things don't go well, how will you respond? Are you going to respond by blaming and not taking any responsibility? Or are you going to respond by um, acknowledging and, and, and trying to make it better? And I think that, you know, the latter is always going to be looked on favorably, um, much more favorably. And I think, you know, it might not be a positive situation, but certainly it's a positive outcome if you're willing to um, work together to, to make it better. So, and then, you know, I mean, if somebody's, if, if, if that, if that other end of the, the equation, the, you know, let's say in this case, hypothetically, if, if the person that I responded to is still not happy and elects to reject the handshake or the olive branch that, that we put out, then you can't really like, you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make them drink as the same as the adage goes. You want to, you just put your best effort forward to, to we have cars. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. So sometimes, you know, the, the, what you, what you don't want in regard, you, you ask for resentful about resentfulness. You just don't want to let an issue lay and fester, right? Is that kind of what you're getting at a little bit? Yeah. Or, or I suppose maybe putting the blame on shifting the blame onto 
someone or maybe for instance your community for not you know not you 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 know you backed but you didn't get behind me and spread the word that kind of thing is what I'm sort of thinking mm-hmm. about. Yeah, like that one pastor that was upset at his congregation for not buying him a nice watch. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> that happened, Rick. Did you hear about that? I actually did hear about that. Um, so, but you, yeah, I, I guess he really thought he deserved it. I don't, I, I don't know. You know. Then the internet told him he didn't, and he he apologized to his congregation, probably because he got caught. I don't know. Yeah, he probably should be a pastor. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think he called his congregation uh, cheap or cheapskates or something like that for not buying the watch. Not greedy for gain is actually a criteria of someone in that position. <laughs> he technically is disqualified. Well, I wouldn't go to his church. I don't. I guess. So <laughs> I am positive that it is now time to end our podcast. And that's all we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. And for all of you nerdy people out there, keep your eyes peeled. Bloop, 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 bloop. That's my peeled sound effect. For, for our upcoming course okay. that is coming out with the unofficial name of Crowdfunding Nerds Course. Uh, <laughs> and as always, if you like this episode, you want to listen to some previous episodes. In fact, we have 97 other episodes and a half that you can listen to online at our Crowdfunding Nerds website, crowdfundingnerds.com. And while you're there, if you really need some help from us, we have this little hire us button. Click on that and we'll help you out. And if you just need a couple questions answered, visit us at Crowdfunding Nerds Community on Facebook. We have a wonderful community of over, I don't know, 500, 600? Where are we at these days? Yeah, we're at uh, over 700 now. (laughs) 700 people. 700 change. Of like-minded people who are either in the same boat as you or beyond the same boat as you or before the boat. So you can get all sorts of answers to your questions from people who've done it or not and think they know what they're doing. That's right. So 755. 755. Well, we need to get to 777. Only 22 more to go. So until then, stay cool, stay positive, and stay nerdy. Peace out.